0: of the DBR Spotlight Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Evan, and everything we do here at Compass is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. And Compass, I hope you notice we got some camera angles. We got one, we got two, and we got three. And we got Mr. Owen here producing this thing, and it's going to be real cool. So I know he really wanted to stay hidden, but uh, too bad. I run the uh, DBR podcast, so here we go. Well, Compass, we are in the Gospel of John, and I'm just really excited. And I love reading uh, God's Word with you guys, and I love going over God's Word, especially you know, the Gospel of John is such an encouraging book to read, knowing that as the purpose, as a reminder of the purpose of the book, is found in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. As I'm reading this, as we're reading this week, the purpose is that, so then we see the signs of Jesus, You know, there's a lot more that he did that are not written in this book, but he wrote down these seven signs. These are written so that you and I, the the reader here, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you and I would have life in his name. And so that's the beautiful uh, thing compass that God gave us his word to lead us back to him for his glory. Amen and hallelujah. All right. Well, as a reminder... Um, as a reminder, there, there's a few things that if you notice in John, uh, John likes patterns. There's a pattern of sevens. There's seven, I am statements, which we'll read a couple of those this week, uh, or one of those, This actually a couple of those this week. No, just one, just one. Uh, we'll have seven signs of, of John, which we'll read actually a few this week. Uh, the seven signs of Jesus. And also he loves threes. There's three Sabbaths. And, and so on, and three, uh, excuse three Passovers that he goes through the threefold ministry of Christ. So we just ended in chapter four, the Samaritan woman evangelizing, well, actually being witnessed to by Jesus himself, and she responded, and she evangelized to the other Samaritans, and so she they brought the she brought them to Jesus, and they believed. And that was the second, uh, excuse me. And so that's where they ended there. And then after that, excuse me, Jesus heals the official son, which is the second sign of Jesus. And after that people believed. All right. Now, after that sign of healing, the son, Jesus has sign number three coming up in chapter five. So there's another great feast of the Jews that, uh, John talks about that. There's another feast that Jesus went up to, to, to Jerusalem and he's at the, uh, went to the pool and uh, there's speculation what this pool's about. And they actually found archeological evidence of this pool. So you should check that out. It's actually really cool. Um, but there's a man who's paralyzed for 38 years, and we talk about suffering. We, that's what we talked about persecution and suffering in general. I mean, this man has suffered for 38 years and is probably wondering, why? Why am I suffering like this? Well, it's because he's about to be used by God to reveal that salvation belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And so he come, Jesus comes up to the guy. He says, do you want to be healed? And the guy talks about some, you know, probably some paganistic idea that they had about angels being in the water that heal him. Uh, but Jesus said, all right, get up, take up your bed and walk. And that's what the guy did. And so one, we see the power of Jesus, the third sign that uh, that the, Jesus spoke and the man healed, really revealing the authority of who Jesus is. And also that's to show that he is caught over, you know, the consequences of disease, and sickness and also he did it on the sabbath day and so you know jesus healed but healed on the sabbath and the people were upset there's some jewish leaders that were very upset they even said so in verse verses 10 of chapter 5 but the man just answered him and answered them in verse 11 the man who healed me He's the one that said to me, take up your bed and walk. They're like, hey, it's the Sabbath. You can't pick, your, pick up your bed. What are you doing? He's like, well, this guy told me to do it, so I don't know what you want me to do about it. And it turns out Jesus, according to the other Gospels, is Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus can command things on the Sabbath where they couldn't. And so in verse 16, this is actually kind of, you need to note this down, is that John's making it very clear for us why, what's going on. He said in verse 16 and 17, This is the why the Jews are persecuting Jesus, because he is doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is a deity claim. He's equating his work to God the Father's work. And so it's a deity claim, which is proven by the next two verses. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So talk about some persecution going on, seeking to kill him because he was doing things on the Sabbath and he is calling himself equal to God. So the Jews understood what was going on. And so this is why the gospel of John, well, I love it. It makes Jesus's claim of deity so clear. So does Matthew and Mark and Luke, but John's written for a general audience for all people to believe that Jesus is God. And so here it is that Jesus is God. And John's saying, this is why they're trying to kill him. They understood it. You need to as well. Now, Jesus shifts to in verses 19 to 29, talking about the authority of the Son. Well, our God the Father has clear authority, but what about God the Son? I don't know. Let's see what the Bible has to say. So Jesus says in verses 19, so For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father In verse 21, As the Father raises the dead to life, so also the Son gives life to whom He wills. He's doing a proof statement, saying, "I have authority like God the Father. I like the God, God the Father. Save the Holy, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to bring salvation to the world. And Jesus is equating Himself to God right here." and even so verses 24 truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him and i'm going to pause right there especially with with kids but anyone how is someone saved by believing in jesus believing in his words his words say what is his word what, is, what are his words that we need to believe him that he who sent me has uh, that whoever believes in him who has sent me has eternal life essentially we need to trust jesus saying God, the Father, sent the Son to give us eternal life. And if we trust that, not some mental ascent, true trust looks like I'm going to forsake the direction I'm going and I'm going to turn to a new direction, turning from sin, turning to Christ's righteousness, I will have eternal life. And he does not come into judgment. Instead, he comes into, from death to life. He talks about how uh, through believing in him in verses 29, we will experience the resurrection of life instead of the resurrection of judgment. Because, surprise, every single person will resurrect from the dead. There you go. But some will resurrect to life and others to judgment. And so, which one are you? Are you trusting in the words of Jesus or trusting in your own words? So, let's continue to read on, shall we? Chapter 5. So we see Jesus' humbleness as he sees his place in the triune Godhead, seeing that I do not seek to do my will, but the will of the him who sent me, showing that how Jesus is the perfect you know, God-man. He's the perfect man submitting himself to the to the Father and the perfect Son of God who submits his will to the Father. And Jesus is what we should have been we should be submitting ourselves to the father like John the Baptist like hey i i i must decrease as he increases well i need it as a person to decrease for god to increase and so i need to humble myself and seek his will now verse 34 of chapter 5 that's what i love about this is jesus says jesus says this i say these things that you, so that you may be saved i mean Come on, here. Look at look. Look how much Jesus truly loves you because the Bible tells me so. He says, "I say these things so that I can lead you to eternal life." And so what he points to is like now you you can trust me on this. Now verses thirty six on. He's saying this is the testimony. This is the witness. That's what the word testimony means. It was witness is that the works that I'm doing have been given to me by the father and they bear witness about me that the father has sent me. So the father has sent someone to save me. He's saying that he's trying to save me and all the works that I'm doing turning water into wine, healing this dude by the pool and the future things I'm going to do is to prove that my words are true and that you can trust them. And so you need to turn to me to have life but he dresses an elephant in the room people standing there who saw the miracles or saw the uh, the results of the miracles still didn't believe and this is why he said they don't believe the reason why you don't believe is because the his voice the father's voice you've never heard or form you've never seen for you do not believe the one he sent. You, this is verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You have eternal life in your own strength. But it is they that bear witness about me. The Old Testament that Jesus is referring to and really all scriptures for us bear witness that salvation belongs to Jesus Christ alone and that we need to repent from our life and trust in Christ to have it and he will give it to us because he's the one who earned it. The scriptures say, I can't earn eternal life. Only God can give me eternal life. Yet, verse 40, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Unfortunately, a lot of people refuse Christ and should break our hearts. But Jesus is here revealing the heart of why people still don't believe in him, even when he stood before them. Verse 46 to 47, for if you believe the Moses, they were saying, I believe the law. I believe the law of Moses. You're breaking the, the law of Moses. You had you healed a man on the Sabbath that, that, that breaks the law of Moses. He said, actually, if you really believed Moses, you would have believed in me. For he wrote about me. But if you but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is really checking our hermeneutics. The hermeneutics is just how we interpret the Bible. He's like, how do you interpret it? Is it to seek after God, or to just get out of jail? How do I get into eternal life? How do I just avoid the consequences of my sin? How can I earn uh, my way out of hell? He's like, no. The scriptures point to one thing: a complete trust in God. To deliver us from our sin. And this is from the Old Testament all the way to the New. The Old Testament clearly teaches about Jesus, but yet we still need God to open our eyes and our minds to understand it. So now we shift to John chapter 6, where we have one of the few events that is recorded in all four Gospels the feeding of the 5,000. And so with the cool part about this is this is the second Passover. This is also the fourth sign that Jesus is what? The provider. Now we, we read this. Now this is the fourth time. We, we get the point. A little boy had a lunch. Jesus said, boom, here's a whole lot of lunch right here. Costco's got nothing on me. And by the way, it's free. I covered the bill. And so a whole lot of people were you know ate a lot of food. And actually some symbolism that... After they gathered all the leftovers, there's 12 baskets left over. Well, why 12? 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, what's the point? Well, if Jesus is the provider, he's the provider for all of Israel. And we see the other feeding, the, for the provider of all the world. Now this is where Jesus or God is using John chapter six to reveal the heart motivation to people. People came, they listened to Jesus like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. And then boom, he feeds them. He's like, this guy's amazing. What a wonderful guy. But in verse 15 perceiving that they're about to make him their king by force, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain. Well, I thought Jesus was the king. I thought that's the thing that we wanted. Well, no, The reason why they wanted Jesus to be king reveals why Jesus was like, no, this is not it. This isn't the plan. So Jesus is the provider, and then we shift uh, a transition right here with Jesus walking on water, which is the fifth sign uh, of of Jesus. But then we go on the next day, the crowd uh, remain on verse 22. The same crowd were like, where's Jesus go? Well, he just walked on water the other side. So like, wait. He's on the other side of the Lake of Tiberias, which is essentially, the, that is the Lake of Galilee, just reminding us of the audience clue who John is writing to. Lake Tiberia, uh, Tiberia Sea, Sea of Galilee, same bodies of water, two different names. Uh, like, for example, Mount McKinley and Denali. Denali is what you would call Mount McKinley, and Mount McKinley is what we call Denali. If you don't know what that is, it's the highest mountain in North America. You're welcome. Now, Jesus, this is the first of the uh, I Ams. I am the bread of life. Essentially what Jesus is saying, I am the provider of life. That was the point of the miracle. The point of the feeding the 5,000 was to say, I am the provider of life. But Jesus hits to the heart of the issue. The reason why these people wanted to make him king, because in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They want the benefits of Jesus, not really to submit and follow Jesus. And so Jesus is right here trying to explain as he goes into eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Essentially, he's talking about, I am the provider of life. And what you need to do in verse 29 This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent me. You need to believe me that I can give you life, not just simple bread, not a a kingdom just to get rid of Rome. No, you need something greater. You need eternal life appealing to their love of Moses in verse 32. He's like, you think it was Moses? No, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread in the wilderness. It was my father who gives you true bread from heaven. He's saying God provided bread, not Moses, and that's true. You just read the uh, account in Numbers. Now Jesus is bringing bread, signifying that he is God. He's proving it by what he's doing. But again, they wanted the benefits. They just wanted to eat because they were just hungry. And Jesus says, I am, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking more than just physical pain. He's talking about a spiritual, uh, a desperateness. They have life because we are spiritually dead. And this is the will of God right here. Do you want to know the will of God? It's right here in verse 40. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I don't know how Jesus can get more clear right here. I am the provider of life. Here's a little symbol to show I am that by preventing some food. But I am explicitly saying, if you trust me, I will give you resurrection life. And so the verse 41, the crowd is like, man, amen, we're excited. Actually, that's not what it said. It said the Jews grumbled. They grumbled because he said that he's the bread that came down from heaven. Unfortunately, Jesus revealed that their hard heart, they just, again, one of the benefits of following him rather than actually submitting to him and trusting him. And he really just reveals it more uh, later uh, when he talks about how they need to Uh, trust in him by really eating of his flesh and blood as a, as a symbol we eat, we eat something and drink something, knowing that it's going to provide sustenance. Uh, It's going to provide uh, energy to actually keep going and live. And so that's the whole point of his words uh, in verses 60 uh, on. And here's the thing, the bunch of the crowd already left him, but his disciples in verse 66, these are, this is too hard. You know, he's saying to eat his flesh and drink his and drink his blood, actually live. Like we can't do this. And verse sixty six, many of his disciples, not the twelve, but many of his other disciples, turned back and no longer walked with him. Here is my challenge to you, Compass. Is that you? Are you following Jesus because you just want the benefits of getting out of hell? You know, are you just following the benefits of just trying to get the rewards, or have you really repented and trusted in Him for for true life? And so, and this just proves, you know, John wrote in another letter in 1 John two nineteen that people leave us because they re- really revealed that they're never of us. And so the question we, we need to wrestle with is, why am I following Jesus? Why do I say I'm following Jesus? Is it because I'm turning to him to give me life? Or it because I want the, the blessings that seem to come through a life with him or what he can promise? <coughs> Excuse me. And so, Simon Peter, after Jesus says, "Do you want to leave as well?" and Simon Peter's like, um, "Where else do we have to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God." And so Peter's revealing his his saving faith and trust in Christ to say, "You're the ones that get, you're the one that brings life, and I'm willing to suffer for it." Which lands on, now we land on John chapter 7, the Feast of Booths. You now, this is a feast where they would gather on Jerusalem in tents to to remember God providing for them as they lived in tents in the wilderness. Now, in verse 5 of chapter 7, we talk we see Jesus' relationships with his brothers, his stepbrothers, essentially. Uh, Someone could have been James and Jude, who didn't believe in Jesus. They actually mocked Jesus, saying, how about you just come show yourself and just prove to everyone, knowing that they didn't really believe him. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do that. But what's really cool is that Jesus' brothers, like James and Jude, who were probably these brothers right here who mocked him, they wrote later two books of the Bible, James and Jude, who they repented and trusted in Christ and so, what Jesus does there is, he talks about more of his authority. Right here, verse, verse sixteen. My teaching is not of mine, but of Him who sent me. If anyone, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God, or, or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So Jesus is saying, check my, you know, check my facts right here. Here are the car facts right here. Check me. Right now, what does God's word say? If you really care about what God's word says, you're going to understand that what I'm saying here is true. So he's really trying to find the heart indicator. And so Jesus is the uh, fulfills the law, but they follow man. So there's the big concern is that they wanted to uh, follow the law of Moses rather than actually following God in the first place. And so Jesus challenges that in verses 22 to 24. He's like, you know, Moses gave you circumcision. Actually, it wasn't Moses, but it was actually God. You give to the father, you know, to Abraham. If the man on the Sabbath breaks the Sabbath command by getting circumcised, the law of Moses is fulfilled. But you're angry with me because I make a whole man's body well on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is calling him out going, you don't understand the law. The law is meant for good and you are meaning it for evil. And so later in John chapter seven, people are starting to believe is this like, Hey, is this the guy we're looking for? So then in verse beginning of verse 32, we see some conflict going on. This was, we're going to probably land the plane here right before chapter eight is that some officers were sent to arrest Jesus. The Pharisees had enough the, the crowds are starting to follow him. saying, no, we need to arrest this guy. And so they go to arrest Jesus, but Jesus combats them with some good, strong words. So in the last day of the feast, in verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to, to me and drink. Whoever believes in, me, believes in me, as the scripture has, out of his heart fl- will flow uh, rivers of living water. Now Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit that he will give at Pentecost. And so Jesus, again, saying, find life in me. And all of a sudden, this caused a division among the people. They're saying, is he a prophet? He is the Messiah? No, how can he be the Messiah? He's from Galilee. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, joke's on them. He is from Bethlehem. And so the people, the officers who went to go arrest him were just dumbfounded. They just couldn't, you know, they're like, this man is amazing. And they're like, why didn't you arrest him? In verse uh, verse 46, no one ever spoke like this man. They see the authority of Jesus. They see nothing can stop this guy. We We, we try, but he is... He's so much far above us, really just revealing who he is, that he is God. And so Compass, this conversation actually continues in verse 12 of chapter eight. So actually, if you pause in verse 52 and skip all the way to chapter uh, chapter eight, verse 12, this is where we get into this the next I am statement that he is the light of the world. So this is what this whole conversation is leading toward in chapter seven, that Jesus is the light of the world. But, Pastor Evan, what's going on in verse 53 of chapter 7 and then the first 11 verses of chapter 8? It looks like there's a, a woman caught in adultery here. Well, that is actually for next week's video. And I'm going to talk about a very brief summary of how chapter 8, or chapter 7, verse 53, and chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, here's the thing, is not in the Bible, it's not in the Gospel of John. And so next week, we are going to talk about a little bit how we got the Bible, because if you look real closely right here on camera, was it number two right here on, right in front of me, it says the earliest manuscripts do not contain this portion. And so we will talk about that next week. But this week, Compass, we need to make sure that we are finding our life all in Christ, Then we're not trying to provide it for ourselves. We're not trying to obtain anything for ourselves. Instead, that we are trusting in the person of Christ entirely to give us new life in him. So Compass, I hope you are encouraged by the daily Bible reading as I am. And I will see you next week as we talk about John chapters 8 through 10 and how we got the Bible. See you next week.